Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand. We pray that your word would just take root in our lives and produce fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Seeing the Invisible, that's the title for this message. And I know uh, that sounds kind of mysterious and mystic and and how do you see the invisible? But I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, before I became a Christian, I thought that the Christian faith was just a matter of, you know, cleaning up, shaping up morals, values. And that's really what, how the world sees it. They don't understand that there's so much more to a walk with Christ. The Christian faith is a spiritual faith. And when we talk about something being spiritual, we're talking about something we can't necessarily see because the spirit is invisible. And so uh, the whole point of the gospel is that there's a change that comes when you put your faith in Jesus, when you give your heart to him. Something happens. Something happens to your spirit and your desires change and your, your heart changes. And then you go on a track, a journey in which... You are changing, but it's not you changing you. It's the holy God of Israel. It's the Lord by his Holy Spirit changing us. And it would be great if every Christian fell into that category, right? But the truth is, throughout the church, there are believers, and then there are spiritual believers. The Christian faith is a spiritual faith, and we want to ensure that we are growing spiritually so there are believers that have all the right doctrines, they have all the right beliefs, and they do good things, and, and that's fine, that's good. But then there are the spiritual believers who have experienced the relationship side with God, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who desire to go further and understand that there is more to this life than meets the eye. And that's why faith is necessary, because faith, it says in Hebrews 11, is the evidence of things unseen things unseen and we are not just little old you little old me when you come to jesus he changes something in you you become a child of god you become uh, a royalty a member of the household of the king the king himself dwells in you and your spirit has become his united with king of kings and lord of lords so you were made for much more than what this world has to offer and that's why things don't satisfy. Actually, all of God's creation, all mankind was made for more. And that more can only be found in God through Jesus Christ. But what happens is, is they turn away from the Lord. They chase after the things of the world. They chase after uh, you know, what appears to be fulfilling, and it never is. Remember the comedian Robin Williams? You know, he had everything. He was loved by the country and the world, and, and yet he ended up committing suicide. There was something missing that he didn't have. And then, I think I mentioned before, I saw an interview with John Lennon of the Beatles, and uh, they asked him, why did you get into the peace movement? And he said, well, with the Beatles, we had all the money, fame, and everything we could want. Do I sound like John Lennon? Okay. Uh, <laughs> next, I'll start singing No. Um, he said, with the Beatles, we had all the things we could ask for, and yet we were empty. I mean, imagine that. These were rock stars. All the money, fame, and anything they wanted, they could have. 
and, and they needed something more. They were empty. That's actually Kirk Cameron's testimony. You know Kirk Cameron. He said he had everything. He could just snap his fingers, drugs, alcohol, girls, whatever it is. He could have it, and, and it wasn't enough. And so many people are in this dilemma because they are created for more. And they have to have an eye to the invisible because the visible just doesn't fulfill what they were created for. There's more to life than meets the eye. But you have to have an eye for the invisible to receive the more to this life. There's more to life than meets the eye, but you have to have an eye for the invisible to receive the more to the life. And we're going to look at this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. Paul knew about this. He said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So how do you look at the things which are not seen? Well, first of all, I want to start with verse 18 and move backwards to verse 17, if we can keep the verses up. But verse 18 talks about looking to things which are not seen. You say, well, that's ridiculous. You're a bunch of kooks, you Christians. You look to things that are invisible. Well, even in the physical, natural realm, we are surrounded by things unseen. How many of you have seen an atom, a molecule, or germs, or bacteria? There's sound waves in the air. There's cell phone signals running through. The, there's all kinds of unseen realities in this natural, physical world, which is complex and full of wonder. But then, that's just temporal. In the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, there is so much more. And we are surrounded by angels, demons, principalities, and powers, the works of God, the pattern of heaven... You know, when Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle, he was to build it according to the pattern in heaven that God was to reveal to him. There are things going on, if you'll receive it, that is more to this life. And if you look to it, you're looking to that which is eternal, which is a quality of life. Eternal life is, it is eternal. And, but it's not just duration. The things which are eternal, it's a quality. It's a God life. It's the satisfaction of knowing the Lord, having his hand upon you, knowing he's working all things for good, walking in his ways because his ways are the ways that lead to life. That is what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just duration. It's a quality. And when you can believe and receive and look to the things that are of eternal life, that gives you the power over the dangers, torments, and snares of this temporal life. If you are walking in the things of eternal life, you have power over the things that would normally drag you down and wreck you. And that's why so many are in despair right now in this world. They, they are being dragged down, they are being wrecked, and so they turn to helps, however they can find helps from whatever source, drugs, alcohol, doctors, psychologists, whatever it is. I'm not saying that doctors and psychologists are bad, but I'm just saying, when you only look to the natural and, and try to put the natural cure, it's a Band-Aid for only so long. You need something deeper because you were created for something deeper and your spirit is made for the eternal. And when you live in that, when you look to that, not to the seen, when you're not moved like Paul and you go past what is seen to the eternal, you have power to overcome what's happening in the temporal. 
And this is what we see in verse 17. As I'm moving backwards here. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh, okay, look at this. Paul said, his light affliction, which is but for a moment, there's temporary, for a moment, is working a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you realize that your afflictions are working for you? Now, this is when you, this is, you got to meet the, the demand of verse 18. You have to be looking to the eternal. When you are looking to the eternal, you can realize that your afflictions are working on your behalf and you don't have to be phased by your afflictions. You're, you're still going to have afflictions, but you don't have to be taken out by them. And someone says, well, look, my afflictions are greater. Paul had a light affliction, which is but for my mind is enduring affliction, a greater affliction, and uh, I just can't relate to that. Well, consider what Paul's light affliction was. How could he say he had a light affliction when he suffered more than any of us in this room probably ever will? And yet he said it was a light affliction. Do you want to know what his light affliction was? I'm going to just read it. It's not, we don't have it on the screen. But let me read to you the list that he describes in 2 Corinthians 11. And you can find it in verses 24 to 28. Here is part of Paul's light affliction. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus ones. That's whippings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not drugs, that's rocks hitting you. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in the, in the waters. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. Now, I'm reading through this fast, but you consider what it would be like to live through perils. I mean, we, we are living in perilous times and things threaten and we get anxious. But this man had perils from all sides coming upon him, even from his own people, his own countrymen. He had physical dangerous perils. There were bad guys, robbers, countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness. Where could he go? Perils everywhere. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Now, I just read that fast. You go back and read that and you think about each thing and what it would be like to go through life dealing with these things. Three, three days in the deep, uh, naked, sleepless, hungry, thirsty, perils from friends and foes. And, and on top of all that, carrying the burden for the churches, the care for others. You know, it's hard enough to be a pastor and care for one church and think, well, how can we make this better? How can we work it? How can we help? How can we see someone get victory? He had that for all the churches. This man suffered more than any of us will ever suffer or have suffered or are likely to suffer. I think I can safely say that. And yet, he said, light affliction. Our light affliction. How could he say it was a light affliction? Because he was in on the secret. He was in on the secret. He knew that, first of all, we don't look to the temporary. If he focused on the temporary... 
he would never have gotten out. And as long as we look at the temporary, we'll never get out. But he looked to the eternal, and he's, as he looks to the eternal, he sees the temporary working things for an exceeding weight of glory. If, you, if I had a, a diagram or a whiteboard, I could draw circles around that. There's light, and then there's eternal weight. Your affliction is light, but your glory is of eternal weight, much greater, exceeding an eternal. You know, it's uh, for a moment the suffering, but the weight is exceeding of your eternity. It's, it's glory. And so the secret is to be in on the secret, which is looking to things beyond the natural. We are spiritual beings, and God has designed it that he can give us the power we need when we look to him, when we walk with him in the spirit. Every one of us, if we've placed our faith in Christ, have been touched by the Holy Spirit of God. But that doesn't mean that you're going to run in that direction. You're going to walk in that direction. That's why Paul often says, walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. As a disciple of Christ, our daily desire should be filled with the Spirit because we know that it's the Spirit that's going to make the difference. We can get by and, and be good and go to church and have our religious fulfillment and duties fulfilled, but the real power of the Christian life is spiritual. And that's what's going to speak to others. So the secret, Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. So how do you look at the invisible? How do you get to see and be in on the secret? It says right here, it's with those who fear him and he does the showing. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Fear is an old uh, word in the Bible that, doesn't mean you're afraid of God. If you're on the wrong side, if you're walking with the sinners and with the wicked, you you should be afraid. But when it talks about the fear of the Lord, it's talking about placing a priority on him in your life. It's talking about making him, first and foremost, your concern. It's about knowing the difference that we are not just living a short, this world life. We're living for eternity and that we live and walk with his eye upon us. We, we understand that he sees everything about us and that we thank him and love him because he has mercy and that he has died for our sins and he's risen again so that we could be saved even though we don't deserve it and we can't measure up. But when we're looking at him like this, the secret comes, comes to be revealed. The covenant secret is that he loves you just as you are. He'll take you just as you are. He'll take you when you mess up. He'll take you as long as you are fearing him. That means you are placing him as your most important. And it also means when you fear the Lord that it's not just all about you. Life isn't just all about me. It is about others, and it's about him first and foremost. It's about others. And then, you know, we come in third somewhere. We love others. But, you know, a baby is born... And life is all about the baby, right? It's just the nature of, of things. And a baby will cry and scream and kick and doesn't care if it's inconvenient for you to attend to him or her. The baby, it's all revolving around that person. And so as we grow up and mature, we grow up and mature. We're no longer babies, and so things aren't all about us. We start to pay attention to, and be sensitive to others. And uh, as we grow... 
we, we should know that we are not the center of the universe. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that. And uh, in our day especially, we are reaping a, a consequences of a time in which everyone thinks they are the center of the universe. And if you don't agree with them, then you better get with it. We're going to cancel you. And if you don't agree with everything I do and applaud everything I do, then you're canceled and, and shame on you. It's, it's become absurd how much we have become our own gods in this culture and society. And you know what? It seems so right. It seems the way to do it. The gospel of this world is express yourself, find yourself, realize yourself. It's all about you, honey. And it sounds so good. It, you know, don't let anyone else, you make the decision. You decide. You don't even have to pay attention to physical laws anymore. But, you know, it all sounds right because it appeals to the flesh. It appeals to the natural. And there is a sense in which we do have some say in our lives. But it's gone overboard and it's made people miserable. People are angry being their own gods. And they're insecure being their own gods. If you don't applaud and worship them, they are angry, insecure, and they want to make sure that they can cause as much havoc as possible so that you will comply. I hope I'm not getting political here or anything. But anyway, that's the point of this, and that's the temporal nature, that there's no fear of God in our society, our culture, and that's why we're reaping the problems. And in our own lives, we can forget, and we can fall prey to it because we... We have to live in this world and we have to be influenced by things around us. That's why it's so important that we counter these influences by being as much influenced by the Word of God as we can. And when we go to the Word of God, that shows that we fear Him, that we see Him as our priority. And guess what happens? He shows us. He shows us the secrets. He shows us things. And Colossians 3.2 says to set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Most of us want to get something on earth, but there's so much more that God has to give us. There is a joy that is greater in knowing Jesus than in getting a brand new motorcycle or a brand new car or having a, a hot tub placed in your back. You know, I'm just I'm trying to come up with ideas, but there is a fulfillment again. John Lennon, the Beatles and Robin Williams and all the others who have followed those paths of, of seeking, 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 even when they had everything. There is a joy in knowing Jesus that is better than anything. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And most Christians are not experiencing that. And I, and I don't know, always experience it either. There are spiritual battles in this world, and sometimes it's a battle and it's a fight but it's a fight worth fighting because when you fear the Lord, he will show you the covenant. He will show himself and it will all compensate what you have been battling, what you have been dealing with. And you will feel fuller and sleep better than some of the richest people in the world who have it all but don't know Jesus. And I'm telling you things that you have to understand are spiritual. Your spirit can receive it and say, yes, your mind in the flesh might be saying, I just don't get it. I can't see it. Well, how do you get God to show you his covenant? 
First, you fear the Lord. Second, you trust that he will show you. He's already shown you something. If you are seeking Jesus, if you know Jesus to a degree, you've already been shown something of the gospel. But the gospel is a great depth, and the word of God has great depths that will never tap all the way through in this life. David prayed in Psalm 119.18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. See, that's a great thing to pray when you go to read the book. Okay, Lord, open my eyes that I might see. I mean, what? I'm not going to read the book with my eyes closed. He's not talking about your natural eyes. He's talking about the eyes of your heart. And you know, in the Jewish tradition, there are rabbis that suggest you can get a whole wealth of gold from any scripture in the Bible, even from genealogies and things, if you would just mine for it. And uh, I don't know how some of those lists, and there's some awfully boring sections, to be honest, in, in the Old Testament, but if you, I really believe that if you did do the research and understood the context and the historical background, you would find treasures and nuggets to show how interesting this really was. And I think that's part of eternity. We're going to see how much this stuff came together and what God was doing in it. But simpler, let's, let's go to simpler portions of Scripture. You can go to a passage of Scripture and it can speak to you for the first time even though you've read it many times before. Most of you probably have experienced that to some degree, right? I never saw, I never noticed that before. It's the Spirit showing you things or it's applying to you in a different way at this time. But the more you're in the Word and the more you don't just read over and say, yeah, I know that, but the more you chew on it and you're praying, Lord, show me that I may behold wondrous things, God's Spirit is going to show you things. And that Word is going to seem more alive than it ever was. It's always alive. It's a, it's a living Word. It's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's always alive, but we're not always alive to it. That's why we have to ask the Lord to open our eyes. That's, and, and because we're in the flesh, we're, we're dealing with the natural world, we have to ask the Lord, show us. And that's part of uh, the time of prayer and Bible reading. You can see things. But also you can see things in your circumstances. What are you showing me in this circumstance? What are you teaching me? Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being, being enlightened. We need eyes of understanding. When we see things going on in the world, it might be that all the crowd is promoting something and saying and doing something. If we have the eyes of our understanding open, we might see things that they're not seeing. We might say, no, wait, this is wrong. Or, or oh, I found something. This is a better way to go. Or my situation. You know, we've, we've gone through some tough things, and you guys know we've, we've had our little time here of transition in Knoxville and if we're not looking to the Lord to say what are you doing in this what, what are you showing me how can I improve on this even though things are not satisfactory in my in my opinion he will come through he will show us how we can improve on our situation and it may not be pleasant but the Bible promises that all things work together for good to those who love him and the Bible promises the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who undergo the discipline of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying the Lord puts all these things to discipline us, but we can be disciplined in any situation if we choose to fear the Lord, put him first, and seek him, praying for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. And he will make us wise, and he will grow us, and it will result 
in power and encouragement. Let me read 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 and 17. Elijah and his servant were confronted by a dangerous army. They were coming after him. And the servant saw it. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The the servant's eyes were open already. His natural eyes, his natural eyes is what brought the the dangerous prompt. It's like, what are we going to do? His eyes are what signaled him in to the threat that was coming. What are we going to do? And so Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes, not his natural eyes, but the eyes of his heart, the eyes of his understanding that he might be enlightened, so to speak. And the Lord showed him all of the hosts that were for them. And that would bring strength and and ability to go forward in a way that he had not before that happened. Now, what's that mean for us? We are surrounded daily by spiritual victories, by the promises of God. If we would just have our eyes open to the promises, though the armies and chariots and horses seem great and many against us, we have the whole book of promises, the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for us, who is for us and not against us, who has died and risen again and even sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. There is no way that we can lose or fail if we have the eyes to see it. Lord, open our eyes that we see the victories daily and that we see that we're being held and taken and carried by the hand of God is a glorious reality that you can't get unless you're in the word of God and you're renewing your mind to what this book says. And it feeds your spirit, it builds you up, and you have the boldness and audacity to go forward when there's chariots and horses before you that look threatening. Amen? That is the power of seeing the invisible. You understand with your enlightenment that things are not as they appear. When Jesus was born, he was born in a poor, a poor situation. In the natural, it looked pretty sad. No room at the inn, had to sleep with the animals. But yet the angels came out and what did they shout? They said, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the here." In the natural, it looked miserable. A little baby, and it can't even have a nice guest room to stay in. And he has to sleep with the pigs and the cows or whatever. I don't know if pigs were there. What's our nativity? We never see pigs in a nativity scene, do we? Um, And pigs were unclean. Um, But my point is, is that the angels had a revelation. Glory to God in the highest. They knew that though this looked very bad, the God of heaven and earth came and broke into our situation. And it meant that there was going to be peace for those who would be reconciled to him and that there'd be glory and that there'd be favor and blessing on his people. And of course, the cross. That looked pretty bad, didn't it? And yet the cross is what led to the resurrection. The cross looking like shame, defeat, and weakness leading to resurrection, glory, honor, and power be unto him forever and ever. 
That's the glory of Jesus. That's the hope we have. And we have to pray, Lord, open our eyes. I'm going to close with one section from Luke and ask you, can you see the glory in this passage? The people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. It was supposed to be a mocking. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So there he was, hanging on that cross, being mocked by every person around him, being offered stuff as a taunt, and, uh, and bloody, sweat, stink, dirt, dripping with pain and itching from the wood and the splinters and and unrecognizable, it says in the book of Isaiah, that his visage was marred more than any other, looked a horrible mess, and was suffering an awful torment. And yet, that one thief on the cross looked right past all that natural view and saw a king and a kingdom. He went right, he, that stuff didn't phase him. He didn't look at the things that are seen, which are temporal. That was only a temporary situation. He saw the unseen. He saw the kingdom. He saw the king. He somehow got a spiritual revelation on that cross, and he saw something that the other thief and everybody else didn't see. So they continued on in their mocking and their persecution. And yet he said, remember me. And what did the Lord say? Well, I don't know. You've been a pretty bad boy. Well, I don't know. You kind of you know, messed up a little too much. No. He said, you saw it. You will be with me in paradise today. What an what a awesome thing. And the same thing can be for us. Can you see the glory? Can you see the glory of Christ? Is it enough to draw you in pursuit of him when everything looks like shame, dishonor, and defeat? Can you go forward seeing the eternal, saying, I've got an inheritance in something better? Can you see glory in your life right now, moving from glory to glory? Well, it's not glorious at all. It's not until you start to look and see it and ask the Lord to open your eyes. And if nothing else, to say, look at what I have. I have a part in the eternal plan of God with Jesus Christ to rule and reign forever and to not be tormented by the curse anymore throughout all eternity. I have a free pass on judgment day because I have had my sins paid for by the one and only Savior who could pay for them. He loved me, gave his life for me. He rose from the dead that I might rise from the dead and live with him forever. And so the world mocks us as we meet for church. The media hates us and mocks us because all they can see is the temporary. 
and it's not doing them much good either when you see what's going on in their lives. Can we keep our eyes focused to the unseen and ask the Lord to show us the invisible and move towards glory and eternal things? That's what I'm asking you today. And as we uh, close, we're going to do communion. And that's a good way to close this because what you're going to see as we receive of the bread and the juice, we're going to see bread and juice, right? We're, it's in the natural, that's all it is. And you can take it in the natural and, and you can have a nice moment or you can look past the natural elements and see the spiritual realities that they represent. The body that was given for you. Jesus suffering and being tortured and put on that cross for you and me. And when we take of that, it unites us to him and says, I have a place in you. And the blood, the forgiveness of sins. We can never pay for our sins. We, we feel like I've got to do so much to pay back God for all that I've offended him with. Forget it, because you'll never do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. And if you try, you'll see that the sins keep popping up that you forgot about or there's new ones that keep coming in. And I can never get past it. But the blood of Jesus cleanses all that once and done. And when we take of that blood, we, we say, thank you, Lord, because this is what reconciles us to holy God. So we're going to come forward. I'm going to read just a section from 1 Corinthians 10 as we come forward. Usually hear other things read for communion, but I, I was led to look at this here. And it's basically just uh, kind of what I've been telling you just now. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10:16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread.